<laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the very first next show. This is our moment to hold and catch fire, which is the theme for this year's next activities. When we came up with this motto for 2020 last year, the world was still a very different place. However, we think it is a perfect fit to headline what we're experiencing right now as Hold and Catch Fire reflects on a pause to be able to catch fire for new ideas. And that's exactly what we want to do here in this show with our guests on a regular basis. So we're delighted that so many people signed up for this first episode. I saw many familiar names on our list, but also a lot of new faces, so to speak, joining hopefully from around the globe. So please let us know where you are based at in the chat. You have the chance to chat with us here. And maybe you can even share where exactly you're sitting, standing, laying right now, so we get a feeling of your setting. For those of you who are wondering who is this woman on my screen, my name is Ina Feistritzer. I joined Next eight years ago and have been heading our conference and further activities for the Next Network for three years. And at the moment, I'm standing in our studio here in sunny Hamburg, joined by our fantastic production crew, Stefan and René. And lucky us, we are not just the three of us, but we are producing this show for you with our lovely next curator and moderator, Monique Pantusseldorf, and our keynote in residency, David Metten. So if you wish to ask any questions during the show or comment on things we discuss, please drop us a line in the chat or ask a question. I really, um, I'm really keen on um, learning where are you based at? And I already see some are based at the Bodensee down south, Bucharest, Frankfurt. I see Malmö people, yay, and Helsinki, Paris. It's lovely to welcome all of you here in the show. So now I would like to introduce you to Monique. So Monique, where are you based at? I'm here in Amsterdam at my home where I always are because I was working from home for many years. Actually, I'm in Duivendrecht, a small village next to Amsterdam. And, um, you know, I'm in the conference and events business and have been forever. I've been working on the next conference for many, many years. And right now the whole world is upside down. So at the moment I'm exploring with lots of different projects what it means to have an event online. And I'm actually thrilled that we can take this next community online as well. So let's see what we can make of this format together. Audience, you guys and us and lots of interesting speakers. And the first one that I want to introduce later on is our co-host, David Metin. David, who are you and where are you? Hey, thanks, Monique. Uh, yeah, I'm joining from London, from South London, lockdown London. It's a beautiful day outside, but no one is out there. Um, some of you recognize me from the next show because you see me speak there. A massive hello to you. A massive hello to all of you who are new to the next show. Uh, like Inna and Monique have said, we are super excited to have you join us and we can't wait to get started. Thank you, Monique. Look, and the, the big idea I want to talk about in this very first What's Next talk is the nature of this moment. We know that the pandemic has thrown everything up into the air. The pieces of the puzzle are all up there right now and no one knows how they're going to come down or where it's going to, how it's going to look when they do come down. Um, but there are already a few questions that have become totally familiar to us. Like, 
Are we going to keep flying around the way we used to when all of this is over? Are we going to keep commuting the way we used to when all of this is over? Are we going to go back to our offices? Are we going to eat meat when all of this is over? Or are we going to stop eating meat or at least stop trading in pangolins? Now, look, part of what I want to say is that all these millions of questions about life after the pandemic uh, and how it's going to be are all really versions of one big ultimate question. And that question is, is this a great reset or is it a pause? Like we all know that so much about our lives and so much about the systems we're in needs to change. We face huge challenges like global warming, globalization, inequality, healthcare challenges. Um, we know a lot needs to change. So the big question is, are we about to see far reaching changes to the way we live our lives and the way we run our businesses, um, to the way we consume? Uh, is this really halt and catch fire? Is it a massive reset? Or will we fall back into the same old patterns and the same old lifestyles when all this is over? Is this a great reset or is it just a pause? Uh, and no one has the answer to that question yet. But what I want to do in this quick talk is two things. I just want to share a framework that I think can help us start to approach some answers. And then the second thing I want to do very quickly is talk about what I think should happen, what should happen next. So first on the framework, look, what I want to say with that is that your answer to this question, great reset or pause, pause or reset, it depends a lot on what you think about human beings. In particular, it depends a lot on what you think about human nature. And human nature is itself a very controversial subject. So I just want to touch on that quickly. Um, the existentialists, writing after World War II, believed that there was no such thing as human nature. They believe human beings have to invent ourselves from scratch. We're all a blank piece of paper and it's up to us to write on the paper. And that's the freedom and also the tragedy of being a human being. And that became a hugely influential idea. And it dominated the humanities. It dominated much of the sciences uh, in the second half of the 20th century. But there is now an emerging consensus, scientific consensus, that the existentialists were wrong, that there is such a thing as human nature, and it's a product, it's a legacy from uh, our evolutionary past. Now look, I have spent the last 10 years thinking about consumers, thinking about human nature, thinking about how people change, why they change, uh, if they change. And in all that time, my activity has been guided by that emerging consensus that there is such a thing as human nature. Essentially, I've been guided by one simple, powerful idea that a lot of you have heard me say before, which is, look, we live in a changing world, new technologies, new economic moments, new social moments, pandemics, whatever it is. But amid all that change, we are still the same old humans with the same old basic human needs. I even took that idea and turned it into a name for my newsletter, New World, Same Humans. So human beings are motivated by this set of basic needs, things like value, security, excitement, convenience, whatever it is. Those needs are very stable, decade on decade, century on century. They don't really change. Um, but here's the thing. They collide with a changing world. And what we need to understand if we're going to look at how this world is changing and how our lives will change after the pandemic is how will that changing world intersect with our unchanging human nature? 
Okay, so let's take one example. Let's take status, the search for status. Human beings are status-seeking animals. They want to mark themselves out as special, as unique among their peers. And there's a flip side to that too, which is they want to avoid social shame. Human beings want to avoid shame and rejection by the collective. Now, just look at how those pair of fundamental unchanging human needs are playing out when it comes to one particular thing, which is the search for a more sustainable consumerism. Like I've been tracking and people at Trend Watching have been tracking the search for a more sustainable consumerism for years. And what we've been saying for all those years is that the search for a more sustainable consumerism, eco-consumption, is a status play. It's about status, okay? It's about a small number of consumers saying, look at me, look at how enlightened, look at how ethical and amazing a person I am. And you see that in eco, iconic eco-consumption products like this, the Tesla, right? The, the original Tesla Roadster from back in 2008, like a very expensive, high-performance supercar that's also about saving the planet. That is a huge status play as a product. But there's something happening to eco-consumption now which is it's becoming much more mainstream, much more affordable, much more available. Um, it's going from very rare, very status to very mainstream. And you see that in this, in what's happened to the Tesla. Like look at the most recent Tesla, the Tesla 3. It's not this massive status, super rare supercar. It's a mainstream car with a mainstream price aimed at the average, the mainstream driver. So eco-consumption has gone on a journey from very, uh, rare, niche, amazing, to totally mainstream, totally affordable, totally available. And when that happens, a really interesting shift happens when it comes to status and shame. Because if it's not rare and amazing and exciting, it becomes much less about the status of doing it and much more about the shame of not doing it. Like if an eco product is totally available, it's totally affordable, it's not expensive, it's everywhere, it's totally mainstream, then why would you not choose that product, okay? And then it becomes not about the status of doing it, because everyone can do it. It becomes about the shame of not doing it. Like, why would you not make that choice? It becomes a matter of shame if you don't. That is happening massively with eco-consumption, and it was happening before the pandemic. We saw this playing out before the pandemic. This is why KLM, the Dutch airline, last year ran a campaign saying, maybe we should all fly less. Next time you want to book a flight, think about whether you really need to take that flight. So this is an airline telling people to fly less. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they know they need to start to acknowledge some of the shame and some of the guilt people feel when they fly or especially when they fly regularly. OK, so this is one tiny example of how a changing world collides with these basic human needs, in this case, status and shame that are unchanging but it causes them to express themselves in new ways and that causes radical behavior change. And I think when it comes to eco-consumption, yeah, maybe we will see that accelerated by the pandemic. Um, but what we're gonna need to look at if we wanna answer this question, pause or reset and how our lives are gonna change once the pandemic is over, we need to use that framework. We need to look at how does a changing world collide with our unchanging human needs. And when that collision happens, how are those human needs going to express themselves in new ways? 
That is a deeply useful framework to try to address this moment and what it means. Now, I promise one final point on what I think should happen or a bit of what I think should happen at this moment. And that is that one other fundamental human impulse should guide us in this moment. And that is the human impulse towards cooperation. We are maybe above all the cooperative animal. As Yuval Harari said in Sapiens, we're capable of cooperation, massive cooperation across scale, across millions or billions of people. And that is unique. Uh, businesses are a testament to our ability to cooperate. And it's been a great time to be a business across the last 10, 20, 30 years on the whole. But there are other mechanisms for cooperation that I feel like we've started to neglect. And you can feel that neglect in the question that we're asking today and in the question a lot of people are asking themselves, which is so often, what is going to happen? What will happen next? Like we're talking about the future as though it's just going to be imposed on us, as though we have no choice. When of course the truth is we do have a bit of a choice. It is in part up to us what happens next. And we are going to build the future. We'll build it with our action or maybe with our inaction. If we do nothing, that's also a choice. So it just feels to me that we have lost faith somewhat in our ability to come together as a collective and make massive change for the good of all. And we need to rediscover that faith. And we do have a mechanism to do that. It's called government. Uh, that is how the collective takes action. And these massive challenges I talked about at the beginning, things like globalization, healthcare, inequality, material waste, plastics, global warming, they are not going to be solved just by individuals or even millions of individuals acting individually, making lifestyle changes. We need collective change and we're probably going to need governments to get involved. And maybe this is a moment to realize that too. So that is the point I want to end on. The future is up to us. So let's not ask so often what will happen, but what should happen? What do we want to happen? What do you want to happen? And then we need to come together as a collective and work and build the future and make it happen for all of us. So that is that is my take on this moment. That is my take on what should happen next. What do you think of that, Monique? I mean, everything that was happening, for instance, this conviction, I think, all over Europe for public transport. If there is a virus going around, public transport doesn't work, we all have to go back into our cars or, you know, individual transport. Um, we all, we, we had a decade of almost full employment. That means a whole generation of people could get themselves out of poverty if they wanted to and, and move forward. We're losing a whole generation now. There are millions of people going to be unemployed for years. Um, Homeschooling is wonderful if you have, you know, clever parents who want to work with you and stimulate you. A lot of kids is, is not so good, you know, it's not good for everybody. So I have the feeling that, yeah, sure, reset, new world, but, you know, maybe we're tumbling back backwards to an age that we thought we had left, you know, I think... I, I want to be an optimist, but... Yeah, well, this is not... I, I'd much rather be living in my movie than in your movie, put it that way. <laughs> but yes, I think a lot of what you say is true. There are some massive difficulties, huge difficulties with this moment that uh, we're not going to be able to just step around. We're going to have to go through them and it's going to be difficult, that is for sure. Well, what, what about... Just one question for you before we turn to our audience, because I'm sure they also have lots of questions. What about the role of digital transformation in this era? So you, you talk about, okay, we need to change things, we need more government cooperative 
initiatives. We need a common, so to speak. Um, what role does it play in regards to digital? Because that has been a domain that's been run by big companies for so many years now. What do you see happening there? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I, I and again, before the pandemic, I think we were seeing that that was starting to shift and people are realizing, look, I mean, enterprise is great, innovation is great. And we had this buccaneering spirit in Silicon Valley and it did change the world and it has been hugely powerful. But we do need to start to get a handle on some of the social and legal and political consequences. Um, yeah, and I think we need the collective, as unfashionable as it can be to use this word, we're going to need government and regulation to help us do that. And again, you know, these these uh, issues are hugely complex. No one's pretending they're easy, but I think we need to step up a bit more and really, really think about them. And I was fascinated to see today that Facebook just named that 20 person committee that's going to help adjudicate on content and privacy issues. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But of course, I'm suspicious about huge corporations appointing their own, you know, over the Now they can at least point to the committee and say, yeah. yeah. And uh, Ina, what questions do our listeners have, your viewers, what do we say, our audience? Some, I guess, from the German audience. Um, one of the many Martins asks what this <laughs> crisis will mean for, for the German automotive industry long term. What do you think? Uh, I mean, my knowledge of the German, my, my deep industry knowledge of the <laughs> German auto industry is probably not sufficient to uh, to answer that. Um, you know, maybe Monique's right and that everyone's going to be too terrified to take the train anymore, which I would find pretty tragic. And it's going to be a massive boon for uh, the auto industry. Um, but I would love to see the auto industry. Yeah. You know, go full speed to switch to clean power, hydro cars. Um, rather than petrol cars. That has to be the way. And, and if I may add, I mean, I think with any industry that has a supply chain over the whole globe, they are rethinking if their their margins and their time, and if it's not cut too thin, if there shouldn't be more local production because some of the German car companies are getting into trouble because they can't get things from China. And, you know, the industries that were spread completely over the whole globe are looking at shouldn't we be more concentrated in one area what other questions do we have i think we have at time least, to all right at least if uh, people want to go to autodesco they definitely need a car that's so much can be said <laughs> um i've got another question marina wants to know what do you think the biggest cause of loss of faith in collective action has been how do we make a shift to re-engage for change yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that's a hugely interesting question and you can do the genealogy of how how that all happened. I mean, well, most many, many people on the call are not old enough to remember, you know, back in the 1970s when the, 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 the kind of dispensation that had arrived after World War Two of cooperation and we need to rebuild and we need to work together started to fall apart and it started to fall apart for good reasons. Um, because it kind of wasn't working anymore. But in its place, a, a, an ideology arose, which some people call neoliberalism. Um, that was about saying government is always in our way and government is always a bad thing. And what we need to do to solve our biggest problems is get government out of the way and let free enterprise just free enterprise just like run. Um, and look, as I say, that led to amazing innovation. It led to amazing uh, new creations that 
enhanced life for hundreds of millions, billions of people around the world, billions of people, what hundreds of millions drawn out of poverty. There's been lots to celebrate, but I do think we need to rediscover the power of the collective. And I don't think there's much you can do to make people do that, but I do think that a moment like this helps make people do that. Because the last big crisis moments, like a world war or a global pandemic that brings everything to a halt, have a way of make, making people reassess um, who they can turn to and how productive change can happen and who makes that change. So I think this is a moment for millions of people to realise that there's a bigger role for government in some of these questions. I must, if I can add, there's one small thing that might help in that uh, area is that now that whole industries are sort of going down and, you know, are disappearing, that uh, at least around here, people that have government jobs are sort of pretty happy. <laughs> I mean, the security of working for a big collective like a government is becoming more attractive than it was in the last years where, you know, the, the big companies were more attractive to work for than government organizations. But we'll see. Last question from our audience. Tanya wants to know, how can we change our governments to encourage more participation and active citizenship so that we understand that we, every single one of us, are responsible for the society we're living in? Yeah, it's a great Look question. All the easy questions. Exactly. Slowly is the answer, and it's not easy, uh, but I think that we probably need a reorganization of government. And this goes back to uh, Monique's point about global supply chains and, and centralization of all kinds. I think we probably need um, reorganization of government that hands more power back to local people and lets them feel involved in local politics that's meaningful to their lives on a kind of meaningful, understandable scale. So they feel that they can affect change in their local community that actually makes a difference and that politics is not this sort of totally disconnected thing that happens in the national capital and has got nothing to do with them. I do think it's an absolutely amazing thing that you know, we've all had phones in our pockets for the last 10 years or however long, and we've all had WhatsApp for however long, but it took a global pandemic for the people on my street here in London to open a WhatsApp group that connected the people on the street so the people on the street can all talk to one another. Okay, we could have done that three years ago, five years ago, however long ago, but people have done it now. Uh, and I think that there's going to be something of a resurgence in the realization of the power of local. Uh, and that is a wonderful thing. Okay, well, I think, David, it's time that you ask the audience a question. What yeah. is the question? Yeah, so look, you've had, I've taken a few questions from you, you've had a bit of a say, but we want to give you a chance to have um, the ultimate say. So there is a poll, okay, there is a poll in the chat right now. If you go to the chat, you can see the poll and you can vote. You can vote on whether you think this moment is a great reset if we've hit the reset button and we're totally going to change everything, or if it's simply a pause and we're going to go back to the way things were once all this is over. So go to the chat, vote in the poll. Is this a reset or is it a pause? And we will check your answers and find out what you thought at the end of the show. Okay. You go answer that question. We are going to move to the last segment of this show. And this is something we're going to do every week and this should be super interesting. So let's roll the little thingy. 
Welcome to the first edition of a regular segment in the next show. Okay, imagine. It is the near future. Amid an increasingly acute crisis on planet Earth, which is not so hard to realize right now, a crack team of humans finalize a daring plan to start a new chapter for humanity. They will travel along with 1,000 specially selected people far beyond the solar system to planet next one. There, they will establish a permanent base, a new society, a new home for human beings. So thanks to our outstanding achievements, you have been chosen, and you, I'm talking to you, David, but also to everybody who's listening, to be among the first thousand pioneers to travel to next one. And we have five questions for you. Question number one. Name one luxury physical object you want to take to your new home. Okay, one luxury physical object. Now, I've thought very carefully about this. My whole life, I have been a dishwasher. When I was growing up, it was always my job to wash the dishes. We didn't have a dishwasher, so dishwashing was my job. And I took that off into my adult life. I've always been the dishwasher, never the cook. I'm always the one who's like, you cook, and I'll wash the dishes. So when I finally moved into a house where we had a dishwasher, that was a revelation for me. A dishwasher is my favorite piece of technology. When I close the dishwasher, I still have this feeling of magic, like, wow, I've saved myself 45 minutes there. But then at the last minute, I realized there probably will be dishwashers on planet next one. So what I want to take to this, what I assume will be very high tech society, at least eventually, is a pen. Um, I had a tutor at university, a guy called Richard Rex, who was like a uh, early modern English history specialist. And he said to me once, the thing is, you can't really think without a pen in your hand. And I find that to be very true. Like people, he meant people like us, people, sort of Gutenberg people who are taught to read and write at a very young age. Uh, you can't really think without a pen in your hand. So if I go to next one and there are no pens, I'm not going to be able to think at all. I can't think with a phone in my hand. Even if I'm sitting at my laptop, I'm writing, I'm sitting there with a pen in my hand, thinking my thoughts. So my luxury item is a pen. We Gutenberg people, I've never thought of myself that way. But okay, you take a pen. Don't forget to tell somebody to bring paper. Anyway, question number two. Name one exceptional person who should qualify to be among the first 1,000 pioneers. Okay, my exceptional person, I wanted to be a writer. And my initial thought was the brilliant uh, novelist, Carl Ove Nausgaard, who we all know wrote this incredible series of novels under the title, My Struggle, all about his life and his family. And it was absolutely amazing. And I thought it would be great to bring Nausgaard along to Next One to chronicle the trip and write this amazing series of books about this society as it emerges and as it grows. But then I realized that his writing this series of novels did lead to the catastrophic breakdown of his family and his marriage and so on. And if I bring him to next one and he's on board the ship and he gets to the planet, he's going to be writing about the society and who's having an affair with who and who's arguing with who and all this stuff. And it's going to be chaos and it will probably lead to the breakdown of next one. So at the last minute, I changed my mind. I would like to bring the British philosopher John Gray, who I think is probably the greatest living philosopher in the English language. And John Gray, uh, his, his whole position is about uh, pessimism when it comes to 
<clears throat> human beings and their ability to make progress um, <laughs> and to kind of extricate themselves from their original nature. So it taps into a lot of what we were talking about before. Uh, and I think he would help keep us grounded on next one and help remind us that we're still human beings. We still have to pay attention to who we are and how we think. So John Gray is my answer. So of all the people you can take, you take a philosopher. Yes. Now, I swear I would take an entertainer, you know, not a an entertainer. Next question. Create one law that bans something from our new world forever. Explain. Okay, originally I thought I would ban social media, but then I do use social media myself. I thought I would try to ban social media influencers, but that maybe seemed a bit unfair. So I've arrived at what is perhaps a controversial answer. I would like to ban on next one, private schooling. And I'm influenced here by Plato's Republic. In the Republic, Plato says, if you want to build the perfect society, the first thing you need to look at is the education of your children. So I would like to make sure on next one, everyone is educated together. No one goes off and is educated separately. Um, we're all educated together on next one. We can inculcate a community spirit in our children. I have many lovely friends who are educated at private school. Um, but I do think that there can be a link sometimes between private schooling and bad governance and that we're seeing that in the United Kingdom right now. We don't want any of that on next one. So I am or I would like to ban private schooling on next one. Okay. I, I'm just telling you for this, you don't have to move to next one. You could move to the Netherlands, which anyway, uh, next question. Explain one truth about human nature or one ethical principle to live by that you have learned from experience. Okay, one principle to live by. I spend uh, my life, or I've spent the last eight years of my life talking about innovation and talking about change, and that's been wonderful. I think we've become a bit obsessed with innovation and change. Um, and the principle I would like to present to the people of Next One is about tradition. Pay attention to tradition. Traditions are there for a reason. Um, even if we disagree with them, even if they seemingly don't make sense to us, it is always valuable to try to understand why traditions are there and why people have traditionally done things the way they have. So let's pay attention to, to tradition, the traditions that we bring with us from planet Earth and the new traditions we create. Doesn't mean we can't change, doesn't mean we can't innovate, just means we pay attention to our Pay attention to tradition is my principle to live by. Oh, thank you. Very interesting. Now, the last question is a very special one. Identify a question to ask next week's pioneer. Okay, I happen to know that next week's guest is the amazing thinker and newsletter writer, Benedict Evans. It said XYZ on the slide, but it's not XYZ, it's Benedict Evans. He writes an amazing newsletter on technology and innovation read by, you know, 140,000 people, um, including me. I would like to ask him, should social media be regulated on next one and why or why not? Well, thank you so much. And as we mentioned, this we got to repeat this question set every week. But I would also recommend you ask yourself those questions. Give us those answers or even better, ask your friends and family those questions because they will show you a little bit of thinking about where we should go next. So that's that's something we definitely want to do. 
Um, we're almost at the end of our show. We had another question for this audience, which was about what would you change in your life? Um, as for me, I walk around a lot these days, you know, just to get outside of the house. And these days I greet everybody I meet. Everybody, just not smile, hello, you know, two meters distance. Um, and I, I think that's a lovely habit and I think I should keep it, whatever happens next. David, what, what is it that you want to change? Yeah, I have been enjoying going for a very long solitary walk during the pandemic, um, which might be to do, of course, with the fact that the children are being schooled at home. So the home is very noisy. I think I'll keep going for my daily walk when all this is over. And I will institute a new rule that there's no talking in the house um, between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. <laughs> no talking in the house between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. if you're under the age of 10. <laughs> is my rule. Non-stop talk, right? And Ina, over to you. I have the poll for you. And believe it or not, people saying reset or pause, it's exactly 50-50. <laughs> really? Uh, and it's not because so, only two people answered, right? I mean, no, no, no. <clears throat> more than 100 people answered. So thank you for participating in this little poll. And amazing that we're just so <laughs> no clue. But yeah, interesting to see. I don't know if that means I was persuasive or not. <laughs> I was 50% persuasive. <laughs> All right, then. This is all we have for time for today. Thank you so much for listening and staying around. If you want to, you can still stick around in the chat. I saw a lot of questions um, in there. So we're happy to stay with you in the chat. Monique and David will also join and answer some of those. Um, and we're also super keen for your feedback. So what did you like? Or is there anything you would do differently next time? Please let us know. And speaking of next time, we are looking forward to having you back next week, I hope, when David and Monique will welcome our first external guest, as you already heard, Benedict Evans. He's a renowned analyst with 20 years of experience in tech and media. And me and around 140,000 others are reading his newsletter every week. And we're super keen to get some insights on the changing economy, the role of mon monopolies, and forced digital adoption next week. So thank you so much for watching. Stick around and hope to see you next week. See you next week. See ya. Bye. See you in the chat. <laughs>